Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. In this week's message, we will be bringing our series, The Wonders of Worship, to its conclusion. Leading us today is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, who will be addressing the question, I wonder if one style of worship is better than another. Additionally, you will get to hear some of the personal testimonies of our two worship pastors here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, Pastor Brad Labakin and the Reverend Marcus Gresham. Here is this week's message. Thank you for listening. Most people would associate worship with singing, which that's a major aspect of things, right? The only thing I love about our church is we have two different services, two different styles, right? Mm-hmm. We have a kind of a contemporary style, which Pastor Brad, that's where you lead. Pastor Marcus, you lead in more of our blended sure. traditional style uh, service. And one thing I love is that you guys get along so well, even though you kind of leading different venues of worship. When it comes to, comes to the actual songs that we sing... What are your thoughts? People will ask, like, is one better than the other? Is contemporary better? Is traditional better? What would you say? I think any song is acceptable, first of all, if it's grounded in the truth of God's Word, in which today there are a lot of great melodies being written. Yeah. Um, but they seem to target more on the emotional side of things all the time. Yeah. You hear nothing about the Word. There's, We call it, there's not enough meat or substance there. Yeah. So... You, you have to have the foundations of the faith. Uh, that's why hymns are still so important. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to lose sight of why you believe and what you believe. And so it's got to be rooted in the truth of God's word. But God never gave us a preference of style. But he did tell us how to worship him. He said in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So if I write a, a song today that has a different melody from, that was written from 1505, uh, my melody can be received as long as it's anchored in the truth of God's word. Um, that's what I love about worshiping God. It's not just a song. It's not just a moment of feeling. It's not just a, an experience, but it's actually the living word yeah. in our heart. He lives in us. He dwells in us. His spirit does as believers. And so the song that comes out of my mouth or out of my body should be honoring what he yeah. has defined, what sure. he has created. Yeah. And not the other way around. Different styles are are necessary because we've got um, such a a wide range of people that just connect with the Lord differently. And I think it's very pastoral to have hymns, to have modern songs, to have something for everybody. So we want to make it easy for everyone to engage with the Lord. We don't want to be in the way. Uh, The song's just like, it's a vehicle. It's like just jump in the vehicle and let's go, you know. Um, So it's really a tool. You know, it's not not made to do anything but, but... you know, help people engage with the Lord. You relate, Brad, people, Pastor Brad, people look at you and go, he's in the contemporary service. He probably doesn't even care about the hymns. So that's not true because we've had that oh, conversation, no, yeah. right? No, I, I actually, I love the hymns. I actually try and do one a week. We might do them in a, a different, like more modern way and there yeah. might be, you know, another course added on yeah. to them. Um, but I love the hymns. I love the theology of that. Like you said, we need the meat, you know, we need sure. um, that. We need the history that connects us sure. to yes, yes, um, yes. generations and generations because yeah. we're we're not here by ourselves. We're built on generations of people that have gone before us and, and sure. worked and done awesome sure. things for the Lord. And I'll ask you, Pastor Marcus, the opposite question. People will look at you and say, well, he's leading in our kind of blended service traditional, but he must not love contemporary worship. And that's not true either, no, right? No, I, I love excellence, yeah. and I like um, the option of having... Uh, a different voice saying yeah. the, the same thing that we've read in God's word from cover to cover but yeah. in a new way yeah. 
Um, and I don't like to, when it comes to worshiping God, I don't want to let, lead people in a mystery or a question mark. I want them to know what, why we're saying that, yeah. what comes out of our mouths. Sure. Uh, the lyrics have to really uh, support what it is that we're trying to say sure. doctrinally. Um, the fact that we have different styles of music is, is no mystery to me because God made different people. Yeah. Um, you know, why didn't he make us all look alike? Why didn't we all come from the same country? There's a reason for that. Yeah. He did that on purpose. So if he's allowed variance in his creation, there's definitely going to be uh, different gifts that flow out of each one of us. Sure. And you bring them all to the, the melting pot. Sure. Um, the end result is awesome. Sure. Uh, to see that many different people unifying to do one thing, which is exalt Jesus. And uh, I love that. I love that. Good morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that we can worship you in different styles and different ways here this morning. But we thank you for the freedoms that we have to worship. Lord, thank you for what you teach us in your word. You do teach us so much, Lord, about what it means to to honor you, to respect you, to be committed to you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, help us to be able to respond accordingly and worship you. We thank you for what you teach us in your word. I pray that you do teach us now that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear, that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in this series, finishing up this series called The Wonders of Worship. And we've asked a bunch of different questions over the uh, last few weeks. I wonder what it feels like when I don't. I wonder what it's like when I don't feel like worshiping, or I wonder uh, what if uh, what it means to worship throughout the week. Last week we we talked about that. We we also talked about um, is there um, uh, the, is it an emotional thing? Worship is it just an emotional thing? How do we worship? The whole gamut of stuff on worship. And this week we come to that. That one question that many of us, maybe especially here at Christ Church, have is, I wonder if there's one style is better than the other. You know, if you talk about how do you do it throughout the week, if, you're, if we're talking about uh, if God's speaking to us during worship, what does it mean? What, when we ask the question, what style is better than the others? I think, especially for our church, we have two different styles. As you've already heard from Brad and Pastor Marcus, who was over at our 10 o'clock service leading that way, we have a different, a wide range of worship. I grew up in a whole wide range of worship. Uh, growing up, I grew up in a very traditional, what I thought was traditional uh, church growing up in New Jersey. A small church, we had a choir, I was in the choir, we had a hymn book, and then I remember that one service when I was in high school that they brought the drums, right? The drums came out, right? And a third of the church left, right? So they got rid of the drums and the, the other third left, right? So they brought the, the drums back, and it's still barely holding on. But I remember how divisive that can be. In fact, I... Uh, then I, I thought, okay, that was a traditional service. That's how I grew up. Then I went to Geneva College. And at Geneva, it's a reform school. And in fact, they don't even use music. They just sing the psalms straight through. So if you have a terrible voice, you're, you have no hope there, right? Because you can hear it. So I thought, okay, maybe that's traditional. Okay, maybe that, that wasn't traditional. Then I came to Christ Church 21 years ago. We only had one service. We had a praise band. We had a choir. We had all kinds of stuff. I thought, oh, man, I just went to a contemporary church, right? Then we started the contemporary service, and I realized that's not contemporary, this is contemporary. You may have just walked in here for the offertory and thought, this is a bluegrass country church, right? <laughs> All kinds of stuff. 
I've had the privilege of speaking to over a thousand churches with my time with Silver Ring thing, and I know every church is completely different. They all worship in different styles. So they're either all wrong, or there's something I'm missing, right? There's different styles of worship. Worship can be divisive. In fact, I had a pastor friend call me this week and said, uh, Jared, uh, he was a senior pastor. He said, uh, I'm looking for a worship pastor. Can you help me? And so we talked about different ways of going about finding a worship pastor. And we concluded with uh, it would probably be easier for his church to just find a new senior pastor than finding a worship pastor because it's so divisive there at his church. And it's divisive. Some people have terrible opinions about uh, music, right? Traditional music or contemporary music. And I remember an article I got a few uh, months back. It's from, uh, an, it's from a website called the Babel, Babylon Bee. Now, Babylon Bee has, Bee has some, maybe some offensive stuff in it, not like, uh, uh, like swearing and stuff, but it might offend some Christians because what it is is it's fake news. It's parody news for the church and Christians, okay? And so what they do is they, they write these articles that sound like, oh, that sounds like it's a well-written article, but it's totally fake. It's totally parody. But I got this article. It looked like this, right? It says, the Babylon Bee explains hymns versus modern worship. Okay, and this is what it said. So the definition of a hymn, right? A hymn is a song that's typically broken up into four or five verses, although no one ever sings the second verse. Hymns usually use a lot of words that no one knows the meanings of anymore, like interposed and Ebenezer. Above all, each hymn must fully articulate a point of doctrine, a systematic theology. Raising and clapping hands are not recommended, but can help distract from the, distract from the fact that no one knows what the words are anyway. The hymns were uh, originally founded after uh, Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount, and then one of the disciples got on an organ and played a few dozen courses of Just As I Am. Since the organ is the only instrument mentioned in the Old and New Testament, it's the only uh, way that we should sing. Okay, so that's what they say about hymns. Modern worship is this. Modern worship um, are written by unschooled high, uh, uh, dropout high schoolers, written down on the back of napkins at nightclubs when the inspiration strikes. Copyright rules dictate that modern worship songs must contain one bridge repeated as many times as absolutely necessary to invoke a desired response, but may have no more than four words in the entire song. It's a del- delicate balancing act. Worship song, modern worship was developed when a kid named Chad at a Calvary Chapel youth camp smuggled in his electric guitar one year and led the kids in an emotional course of Pearl Jam's Jeremy. After that, it launched an entire movement of believers and churches played that grunge-inspired worship songs instead of biblically prescribed hymns. Well-written articles, right? Some of us have that idea of, oh, there's no way. Uh, there's no way I'm ever going to go into a traditional service. Folks in the traditional service will say, there's no way I'm ever coming into Wilson Hall. Tonight, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a mix of both. We're in the sanctuary simply because that's a bigger space for us to fit in there. Don't get focused on where it is. I want you to focus on not how we worship, but why we worship in the first place. Brad and Marcus are going to be there tonight to, to lead us in worship. But it's a divisive thing. I know it. And one of the things about our church, we have two different styles, and that could be divisive. But one of the great things is that Brad and Marcus, they have such a heart for worship. It's not about their style. When you ask Brad and Marcus about their testimony, they don't ever mention that about contemporary or traditional. They talk about why they are here in the first place. And so, in an effort to show you that a little bit more, I thought, well, instead of hearing from me this morning, I think it would be good for you to hear from Brad, for your, hear his story and how he came to know who Jesus is and what drives him to worship. So, will you do me a favor and welcome Brad back up to the stage? Thank you so much. 
Um, yeah, really, my, my, my earliest memories of the Lord are from when I was five years old. I remember being uh, on my way out uh, to kindergarten, and I'd, uh, before I'd go get the bus every day, I'd watch a show, and it was called the Gospel Bill Show. And at the end, this cowboy would give a gospel presentation. And I remember being a five-year-old kid asking Jesus to come into my heart. And I remember this thinking of this little Jesus coming and just, you know, living right here. And, uh, but it did something to me. It, it made me feel like God was with me. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I locked onto uh, a, a bad idea about God. And that was that I had to earn God's favor. I had to be... Um, constantly on this uh, religious roller coaster ride of being good enough to earn heaven. And one day I'd feel like I was going to heaven, and the next day I'd, I'd sin and I'd mess up, and next day I felt like I was going to hell, and then next day heaven, next day hell. And it was like this roller coaster, and I just always started to feel like God was mad at me all the time. And uh, that wasn't right. And then I got into my teenage years and got into all kinds of rebellious um, sin and all that stuff. And, and really, both of those things, feeling like God was angry all the time. And uh, my life of sin led me to a place of just being depressed. I had anxiety attacks daily. And I remember at my lowest point being in bed for three days because I couldn't go to school because I was just too sad to get out of bed. And um, when it was in my darkest moment, uh, a voice came into my head and it said, go see your uncle. And my uncle was a Christian, a missionary. So I went to his house and um, he clearly explained the gospel to me from the word of God, showed me where everything was in the Bible, showed me things like when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant that past, present, and future sins were already paid for on the cross. Everything I need was found in him. He took me to scriptures, Ephesians 2, salvation's a gift so that no one can boast. I didn't have to earn it. And that brought me such freedom. And I remember accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and just you know, crying out uh, in praise on that night, and that changed my life. And so, one of the first things God uh, taught me, and uh, when I was you know pursuing Him, was it seemed like He wanted me to go to college for music. And so um, that was confirmed through preaching, through the Word of God, through Christians in my life that you know, I'd been talking to. And um, so I went and I took auditions at three uh, colleges, and they all laughed at me. They said, "Listen, you can't read music." You don't know names of chords. You don't know scales. Because all I had played up until that point on guitar was punk rock and metal. That was what I grew up on. So um, they basically said, this is not for you. But I kept, God kept saying, no, this is for you. And so I got a tutor. And this guy was the most amazing music tutor ever. He taught me how to read music um, and taught me all the chords and scales in like a super quick amount of time. And I just locked onto it. It worked really hard. Went back uh, to schedule an audition for Duquesne University in May. Classes started in September. And I went uh, a couple days before the audition. I broke my wrist skateboarding and couldn't take the audition. And God's still saying, no, I I want you to go. I want you to go. So it was like uh, late July, early August. um, I got the cast off and I took an audition weeks before classes started. And um, they said, we can see that you can read music. We can see that you know your chords. Um, you know, but my wrist was, when you get your cast off, you can barely move your hand, and I couldn't really play much in the audition. They said, 
we never ever do this, but we're going to let you in on probation. We're going to let you through, but we're going to keep an eye on you and make sure that you can keep up and all that. And um, so God, it's kind of like God snuck me into music school. And so I worked my butt off for the next year. And then after that year, there was no money for college. And we're like, okay, God, how are we going to do this? Um, my mom ends up getting a job at the university. I ended up getting to go for free for the next five years to get my master's. Plus my brothers and sisters all got to go for free as well. And that's just the faithfulness of the Lord. He does impossible things. He does things that are just uh, inspire praise. Um, and so I got out of college and I was like, okay, Lord, what now? And I floated around for about two years without uh, a real job, a steady thing in music other than teaching guitar lessons. And um, um, I was like, is, is this what that was all for, God? You know, um, and God said, no, I've, I've got something for you. And I ended up getting a, um, a call to fill in for a guitarist at this church. That guitarist is Mark LaCornu. He, uh, you had, a you had a school thing where you couldn't play for the next couple months. So that they brought me in. And, uh, that was really how I came to this church, uh, to play guitar. And then one thing led to another, John Guest ended up starting, uh, with several other people, this, uh, the Wilson Hall service. And they said, we think we want you to, to lead worship. And, uh, I've been here ever since for the, the past 10 years, and it's been awesome. And uh, this gives me an opportunity just to express my heart to the Lord. And to worship with you guys every week is such a privilege. Uh, we love you with all the musicians. Uh, it's just uh, such a blessing. And uh, we get to do that tonight again. Um, if you guys come back, um, it's just going to be an awesome night of praise. So just encourage you guys to come to that too and praise the Lord with us. So thank you. Well, thanks for that. And I'm blessed to be able to have work with such great folks, both Brad and Marcus, who really understand what worship is all about. That there are different styles, but it's really about the heart of worship. And what I'd like to do is for you to get to know Marcus a little bit more. Some of you know he's been here for about a year, but he's got a great story, great testimony. And I'd like him to share that with you about how he came to faith and about what worship is all about to him. So would you please welcome Pastor Marcus as I ask him to come and lead us this morning and talk for a few minutes. Thank you, Pastor Jared, and thank you, Christ Church. First of all, I just want to say I love you all. Amen. Amen. And it's weird looking at yourself on a screen, so... <laughs> But I now see what you see. I, uh, I'm so thrilled because uh, God chose me to do what I do. And, and, I'm, and I mean it just like that. Um, my mom, who's in heaven now, she told me right before she passed, she said, love all my kids, Marcus, but when you came out of me, I knew you were going to be very special. And I uh, didn't quite understand that, but I, I'm seeing that as I get older. Um, I got saved. And Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 16 years old. And that was in November 1982. The year later, in 1983, I surrendered my life. And I said to God, you can have it. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Up until that time, and since I was a little kid in the third grade, I started playing piano in third grade and singing in the sixth grade. I always wanted to be an architect, engineer. Uh, I would watch uh, the Brady Bunch. Mr. Brady had his architect drafting board, and that was going to be me. And I always said, I will never go to Ohio State. And they gave me a scholarship to come to school, and I went to Ohio State. And long story short, I, once I said to God, you can have my life, it was during a revival meeting. And as a young person, I never saw anything modeled like I see today. 
I saw tons of missionaries that would come through our church. I was saved in a Baptist church in Columbus, Ohio. Lots of quartets that would come through and sing, quartet-style music. All huge 200-voice choir that I was a part of. We always did Christmas pageants, all these things. But I didn't know what I knew now, and so I liked to sing, and I never wanted to make a living out of music because I wanted to have money. I didn't want to be poor. But when I promised God my life, he began to speak to my spirit and my heart. As I went off to Ohio State, I would have to go to my calculus math class, and I would pass the school of music every day. And every time I would pass that school of music, my heart would become very, very heavy. And the Holy Spirit was dealing with me saying, you should be up there rehearsing. You should be there studying music. And I acted like I didn't hear it. Well, I yielded to that call. And in the, in the process of yielding, I didn't know I could write music. And God showed me that I could write music. I wrote a song about that experience. I've been writing music ever, ever since. That was in 1986. That was a long time ago. And one of the things that I was taught, first and foremost, as I began to aspire to be in ministry full-time, because I believed I had a call in my life full-time to ministry, was that I would be, need to be, remain humble at all times, become a servant first. I had great mentoring by my pastor, and the church that would hire me on the first time uh, to be a full-time worship person was in West Virginia. Never saw myself living in West Virginia, but I was. Almost seven years of my life was spent there at a large 2,000-member church, non-denominational church like this. And there is where I really learned how to worship. At my home church of 27 years, I spent my training, I would say, as a volunteer. So don't ever look down on volunteering, because out of it, you see a guy that's standing before you today doing what he's doing. Um, And... God would show me that my music had to be something more than excellent, sounding great, and all those kinds of things. I was a perfectionist as a kid, and all those kinds of things always had to be just right for me. But, but he began to put on my heart and said, I want you to do what my scripture tells you to do here. And so I want to allude to a couple of verses. In Mark 6.15, first and foremost, he said, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all cre- creation. This was my tool. Pastor Brad was alluded to it earlier it is a tool, music. Others of you have other tools. Some of you like to do carpentry. Some of you like to sew and cook. It doesn't matter, but it's a tool. And this is the tool God had given my life. But in Colossians three fifteen through 17, this is where I really begin to take root of what my calling would look like. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Marcus, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and as you admonish one another with all wisdom. Now get this part through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. From the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, Marcus, whether in word, whether in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I didn't want to simply just enter- entertain. When I went to Ohio State, I changed my major from architecture to music. So I ended up going an extra year, and I knew God was faithful to me. I had money that they had given me. It was only for four years. When I announced that I was going to switch my major, my advisor says, well, let me look at your GPA. And just like that, she gave me another free year. For five years, I've never had to pay more than $300 per quarter to go to school. And I received a, a bachelor's of vocal performance. I was trained classically 
and my minor was piano, so I could have easily gone into opera and all that kind of thing. I won't sing that for you. If you'd like to have that, I'll send you to YouTube or something. But uh, God said, I don't want you to entertain, though you can be entertaining, and people know me know that I'm funny. I want you to simply minister what I've given you to do. And that was a good fit for me. And it's never been a stronghold for me. It's never been a hardship for me. There's a grace upon my life to do what I do. I love leading people towards God, period. I don't like people making fusses about me. Though I was taught by a godly mother, hold your head up high, son. Square your shoulders back and go take some names in this life. That doesn't mean you have to be cocky. You can be confident in Christ because of what he's done in your heart. Amen? There's a difference. And so because of that, I have an utmost urgency about myself that I want people to know and have what I have. It would be very selfish of me to come here every, every single weekend and to simply just do what I want to do. But no, that's not why I'm here. I believe in my heart of hearts that God will call a man or a woman, a boy or a child, two people. He sent me here. I never knew you people, but God did. I never met Jared until he called me. The only person I knew was Jeff Cetera. That was it. He's been a menace to my life in a good way, more than one time. And yet God knew when I lived in Pittsburgh years ago that I would be here. That blows my mind. I was in Denver, Colorado. I wasn't here. And then I was in Maryland. And I've been all over, it seems, all over the world doing worship. God has used me, and he's going to continue to use me. I want to encourage you this morning, if God is pricking your heart, and you can be 85, and God is knocking on your heart and saying, will you let me in? I have something more for you to do, that you would not ignore that call, that you would just embrace that call. I tell our team all the time, it's nothing to be afraid of, but everything to gain if you do it for Christ. So I probably have gone way over. It's hard to put that much time that I've been a Christian into seven minutes. I would want to leave you with one thing, that you would worship God with your whole heart and your whole being. For this is the first commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. He commands us, but we get the opportunity to come together every single week, all different kinds of people, into one purpose, to exalt the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I hope you've been blessed. You bless me. And I take it as an honor and a privilege to serve you. Thank you so much. I love you. Amen. Now, it's great that we have hearts, uh, people leading worship who really want to lead worship. You ask Brad, you ask Marcus, it's not about how they lead worship, it's, it's the why. Because in his darkest moment, as he said, God grabbed a hold of him. Right? And that's where we come to this passage here today. Maybe asking the question, was one style better than the others? I'm not going to get up here and say one style is better than the others, because that's not the point. You're focusing on the wrong aspect. It's not the how, it's the why. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in John chapter 4. It's in your service sheets as well. But I need to set this up because one of the things you're going to find out is that people have been asking this question about style of worship for hundreds of years. Not just here at this church, not just this year, not just the, the past 20 years since it's been here. But it's 
people asking this question, is one style better? How do I worship one style better than others for hundreds, hundreds, even thousands of years? All the way back to the time of Christ. And that's what we're going to find out here this morning. To answer the question, I wonder if one style is better than others. John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this. So he, which he's talking about Jesus, left Judea and went back at once. Went back at once to a town called... Uh, Went back once to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he had to come to a town, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of land. Near a plot of land. Uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo- Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from his journey. Sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Okay? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Okay? So we set this set up. We set this scene up. You've got to know, Jesus, we've talked about this before, I've shared this before, but there's, back in that time, you think of these regions as areas, okay? So he, Jesus, left Judea. Judea's in the south where Jerusalem is, okay? He's got to go to, uh, where's he going? He's going to Galilee. Galilee's in the way north. Right between is Samaria, okay? Judea, Samaria, Galilee. Got it? Now, when it said Jesus had to go through Samaria, he did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, most Jewish people would not go through Samaria, okay? Even though it's the direct route, okay? The reason is, is that the Samaritans, they didn't like them, okay? The Jews thought they, they were, what had happened was they had, inter, after they got um, defeated by the Syrians, they intermarried with other people. And so they, they considered them half-breeds, right? So they didn't like the Samaritan people. So what they would do is they would cross over the Jordan River, Okay, Jordan River's on the, on the east side. They would go up, around, and come back in, cross the Jordan River again to get to Galilee. So they didn't have to go through Samaria. Okay. It would be like uh, if you want to go to Indiana, but you didn't want to go through Ohio because the Browns and the Bengals are there. You'd go through Kentucky, right? And you'd go around and you'd come back up, right? Same thing. But Jews did it all the time. You think of like the Israelis and the Palestinians. There's always constantly fighting there. It's the same deal at that time. So he didn't have to go there. Why did he go there? He went there because he had a divine appointment with someone who desperately needed him. Someone in their darkest hour, like Brad talked about, in their darkest hour, Jesus shows up. For you, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you came wondering if I can figure out more about worship, but you're going to leave knowing, you know what, it's not about worship. It's about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Now I can pour out my heart to him. You see, this well was about a one and a half mile outside the village. It was a very famous well, Jacob's Well, 2,000 years old. Weary travelers would come there all the time, and they would, they would meet up there. Well, what would happen was... The people from the town would go to Jacob's well and draw out water. You would not go at noon either. You wouldn't go at noon. See, in the next verse, it talks about this woman went at noon. You would go in the morning or in the evening, right? You don't go at noon. You don't go at high noon in the desert to go get water. Because it's too hot, one, and everybody else is going in the morning and the evening. That's like the water cooler talk. That's when you're going to hanging out with people. This woman obviously did not want to be bothered by anybody. So she's there at noon by herself. Some people come to a church and they say, you know, I'm just coming to church. I hope nobody asks me any questions about my life. Because if they find out who I am, this place is going to burn down. Right? This woman was in the same boat. We find out all kinds of stuff about this woman. She was married five times. The person that she's with now isn't her husband either. She lived a terrible lifestyle. She's in her darkest of, of times going to a well at noon. But then there's Jesus shows up just like he showed up for Brad. Just like he's going to show up for you this morning. And she says, he says, give me something to drink. And she responds to him and says, I'm a Jew. You're a Samaritan. Why are you even talking to me? 
Then in verse 13, Jesus answered this. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, listen, you're coming for water, but I want to give you something that's going to fulfill your needs for the rest of your life. I'm going to give you hope. I want to give you joy. I want to give you security for the rest of your life. It's about me. And the woman says, well, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. You know everything about me. See, what you need to understand is that Jesus came to save the lost. Jesus still comes to save the lost. He came to seek and save his lost time and time again. He's showing up to people who are in desperate need of him, just like Brad, just like you. He said, listen, I'm here for you. I love you. You're going through a tough time in life. You may be in the worst position ever. You may have lived a terrible life. I don't care about that. I just want you to come to me. I've already went to the cross for you. I've died for you because of the sin that you have. You're trying to earn it on your own, and you're miserable. You're miserable. So I just want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. The water I give you will be springs of well water up to eternal life. When we have sinned, we all come short of the glory of God. Because of that, we deserve to be in hell forever apart from him. But he died for us so that we can be in heaven with him. That's eternal life. So she says in verse 19, this is the verses I want you to focus on a bit this morning. So sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The Samaritans were, couldn't worship with the Jews. Okay? She's in Samaria. Remember that. She's in Samaria. The Samaritans now worship at a mountain called Mount Gerizim. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Mount Gerizim. But the Jews would not worship there. So where are they worshipping? They're worshipping in Jerusalem. Okay? She's saying Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. What she's saying is, Jesus, that one says you should worship one way, uh, but some other people are saying you should worship another way. Jesus, is there a certain place that you want me to worship? Mount Gerizim or is it in Jerusalem? Jesus, is there a certain way you want me to worship? Is it a contemporary style or is it a traditional style? Jesus, is there one way that's better than the other? Jesus, how should I worship? She's asking the same question that we ask here today. Is there a certain style or place or location that we are to worship? She's asking the same question. Where must we worship? Jesus answered something profound because he's answering the same question to her as he's answering to us when we ask, I wonder if there's one style better than the others. What does he say in verse 21? He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. There's some great profound things in that statement. There's some bad news, though. The bad news is is that when we come on Sunday mornings to worship, that's not going to save us. When we give on Sunday mornings or give to charities, that's not going to save us either. When we do good, we follow the Ten Commandments, that's not going to save us either. When we're good to our spouses, or we have quiet time, or we pray so many times a day, that's not going to save us. Those are all wonderful things, folks. But that's not going to save us. 
What Jesus is saying here is, listen, you worship, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The good news is, is that it's open for everybody. There's equal access there, right? Salvation is not about going to the right mountain or worshiping in a certain style. I wonder if one's better than others. No, worship is about a heart condition. Once you have the right heart condition and you worship in spirit and in truth, that's all that really matters. You see, we have a membership. We had a membership class last Saturday. It was a fantastic time where we got together with all the members, the new members here. We're going to induct them next week. One of the things that we talked about is the fact that there are some things here we believe at the church that are essential foundations of our faith. That we're going to, those are hills that we're going to die on. And those are things that, 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 that we say they're essentials and that we have unity in those essentials. We have unity that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that there's a trinity there, that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, that the Lord Jesus Christ is this, is incarnate man who is, who is fully human and went to the cross for us to die on the cross for us. And that His Spirit is here as our comforter and our guide. Those are, those are essential things that we believe here at the church. We believe that salvation is by grace alone. That it's not about works. It's about grace, about accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, as His free gift. Those are essentials. The essentials about the Bible. That the Bible is God's Word, inspired 66 books, and it's without error. Those are essential beliefs that we have unity. But I told the members too, we also have freedoms in some of those things too. One of the freedoms we have is the styles of worship in which we worship. Because the Bible doesn't say specifically, you have to worship with an organ. <laughs> or worship with a harp only. Or you need to worship as, with, with singing and dancing. D- David danced naked. That would, I, I would hope that that would not be a mandate for all of us, right? Okay? There's, there's not a form of worship that we... Those are the freedoms that we have to worship, right? That's why Colossians 3, 17 says that we, we sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So growing up... Even today, I've learned more about worship than ever before. I realize, you know, I grew up maybe in a blended or a traditional service, and that's good. I went to a college that was more just the Psalms without music at all. That's good, too. Came here, and it's contemporary and blended. That's all good, too. Why? Because there's a certain aspect. It's not about how we worship. It's why we worship in the first place. The wonders of worship is not a focus on style, but on the fact that God first off, is seeking true worshipers. It's not a focus on style, first off. It's the fact that God is seeking true worshipers. If there's true worshipers out out there, that means there must be false worshipers out there. If there's true worshipers, there must be false worshipers. What's a false worshiper look like? A false worshiper would be somebody who's so dedicated to worship, right? But they're worshiping the wrong God. We think of, uh, we think of uh, those that are worshiping Allah or Krishna or Buddha, right? They're really devouted people worshiping, but they're worshiping the wrong things. And you may say, well, man, well, it's a good thing we're not in another religion. But we do things here in our culture where we worship things. We put things far above God. We worship how we look. We worship uh, what, we're, uh, what car we're driving, the kind of house we have. We, we worship those things. God is seeking true worshipers. The false worshipers put emphasis on the wrong things. If you want to relate it here to the church, you may say, well, how does a false worshiper look in, in a church, right? Well, it's about entertainment. There's some churches that I've been to, and I've had the privilege of speaking in many, many churches. There's some churches that I know, it's just about entertainment. That people come in and they say, the only thing I want to hear is, is I want to hear how the, the drums sound, or I want to hear how the guitar sounds. They're here for a show. And people come in, and some worship leaders, and I'm praising God that our worship leaders don't do this, is they do it just for entertainment. 
Before we come on Sunday mornings, we have a time of prayer saying, God, use us mightily. I pray that it overflows from our hearts. That's what God's seeking is true worshipers. It's not a matter of, of how we worship. It's a matter of why. Not only does God seek true worshipers, but he seeks true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. What's that look like? We've got to worship in our spirit. It's got to overflow from our hearts. It's got to start with our hearts. God, we are worshiping God, but it's got to flow from our hearts. It's not about how we're feeling about a particular thing. We may have the worst day, of, a worst week at work. We come in on Sunday mornings. If it's how we feel on how we worship, then we're in big trouble, right? It's the same thing about a marriage. If, you, if you're married, you've been married, or going to become married... It's the same thing. I love my wife, Deb. We've married for 19 years. But my relationship to her is not just based on my feelings for her. Okay? If it was based on my feelings, if I'm having a bad day, then my commitment level is going to go way down. Right? If I don't feel lovey-dovey with her um, today, then I, my commitment is just going to tank. Right? I tell this to folks I had premarital counseling with a couple this week. And I said, listen, it can't be based on your feelings. It's based on a commitment. Once you understand what they, what, who they are and your commitment to them, then your reaction is to overflow to them in, in praise of them and in a manner that shows them love. It's the same thing when it comes to worship. Once we understand who God is and what he's done for us, then it overflows from our hearts, from our spirits into worship. That's why we worship. It's not about how we feel. We also worship in truth, too. And this one is profound for some. Because you have to realize the worship songs that we sing, the songs that Brad picks or Marcus picks, are words that are truthful from God's word. They're truthful. In fact, I remember asking Brad a few years ago, I said, hey, Brad, it would be great to sing this song. He's like, yeah, I don't think so. And I, and I thought, Why not? And he he talked about the theology of the song. We really looked at it, each verse, and we realized, you know what? That's actually kind of contrary. It's not really what it says in God's Word about what God does for us, right? So we don't sing that song anymore. There are some songs that we don't sing. And I appreciate Brad. Brad is a wonderful man of God who really looks at the theology and the doctrine of each song and says, are these songs accurate, right? Do these songs reflect God's truth? Some of us... Don't realize, but every song we sing reflects some truth in God's word. When I was looking at that uh, article in Babylon B, another one popped up. Okay, it was I was on worship, and it looked like this. This is what the title was: "Worship Leader Wishes God Would Have Just Left Us an Entire Book of Worship Songs." Okay, and this is the article. It says, while attending a worship leaders conference, local worship leader Jake Freebird Watson lamented that God didn't leave the church a book of worship songs. Watson stated that if he'd been in charge, he definitely would have had an inspired book of praise and worship songs. I'm not saying we have to sing them all the time, but it would have been given us a whole bunch of songs to draw from. He could have put it right in the middle of, God, of the Bible. The worship leader claimed that such a book would have helped worship leaders and music ministers add more accurate theology and passionate inspiration songs to sing to the Lord. I'm not questioning God's wisdom, said Jake. Just definitely I would have left a bunch of worship songs for people to sing. Right? You think about that. You go, some people think, well, I wonder where these songs come from. When it talks about worshiping in spirit and truth, that means that everything we sing is based on truths of God's word. That's why we're encouraging you to get involved in Bible studies and small groups. Because the more you know about this, the more freely you can worship. Because you, you can say, you know what? That is God. That is his attribute. That's what he's done for us. And I can respond in worship. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes called Great is Thy Faithfulness. Because we can see his faithfulness goes from generation to generation. 
Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth this morning? Are you worshiping because of entertainment? Are you here just because of the music? Or are you really worshiping in spirit and truth that overflows from our hearts into truth? Right? Overflows from our hearts, pouring out to God because of what He's done for us. And we worship in truth that's consistent with God's Word. Finally, this. It's got to become a priority, too. What Jesus is saying, He's looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. What He's saying is, it's not like a, hey, if you ever want to worship, it's no you need to worship, right? It's a priority we have. It must become a priority to be a worshiper. We have all kinds of stuff that go on in life, right? We've got jobs, we've got responsibility, we've got sports things coming on. And I know it's so hard to even make it to Sunday mornings, let alone the Sunday nights. So you go, how could, I, how could I set aside things? I've got too many responsibilities. The woman at the well had a lot of responsibilities as well. And we find at, in verse 28 of John 4 what happened. What does it say? She says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? What did she leave there? She left the responsibility right there. She was getting water. She left it there. She realized that's not the responsibility. That's not the priority. The priority is the Lord. We got to make it a priority. What about you? I'm asking you, are you a true worshiper? When you look at the wonders of worship, are we focusing on how we worship or is it really about a heart condition? We say, you know what? I worship because of what he's done for me. That's the why. And we have freedoms in how we worship, how we express that worship. But we want to worship in spirit, something that overflows with us, something that's consistent with truth, and we make it a priority in our lives. I hope you make it a priority. I hope you learn more about worship than you ever have before. I know I have. Because I thought I was going to go into the series talking about the different songs that we sing or, or how, you know, the, the actions that we do while we worship. And I'm realizing, nope, it's all about our heart. I hope you have the right heart. I hope you'll join us this evening as we take an hour of just praise and worship as we sing our hearts to our Lord Jesus this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you show up to us. Some of us are in deep, dark places. Thank you that you showed up to Brad his darkest hour, that you showed up to me in my darkest hour. Lord, some people are in here right now, they're in their darkest hour. They feel like that woman at the well, isolated, alone, hoping that no one knows what's going on in their lives. And they come here this morning and realize that you're here for them. That you're looking them right in the eyes and say, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. I want to give you something. It's a free gift. And if that's you, it's, it's as simple as praying a prayer. You say, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. You say, dear Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me and rising three days later. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to worship you from my heart and spirit in truth revealed in your word. Lord, we thank you for that one, maybe two, three people who prayed that prayer, who committed to you, who came in wondering what kind of worship they were to sing, but leaving with a heart condition that's right with you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that we can sing your praises, and we thank you that you are faithful to us yesterday, today, and forever. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?